Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. As Ante said, I work with Baptist churches of Western Australia, and I work specifically with cross-cultural churches, and once in a while, people like Ant get me along to a church like yours, and so my ministry is very broad. Um, of the churches that I work with, uh, which are 35 of those, uh, 16 of those churches are from Myanmar. And so some of them actually have uh, relatives who have been killed or affected uh, by the atrocities that you just saw. Uh, Some of them have relatives who have been displaced. uh, And some of them are also trying to raise funds to uh, help with the medical needs that keep keep growing and, uh, and the needs for food. Because when you're displaced from your home and you're a subsistence farmer, it means there's no likelihood for you to get food. That's, that's just how dire it is. And so let's keep praying for them, and uh, let's pray that uh, uh, that military regime would somehow uh, see the sensibility and the sense uh, and the dignity that is there in human life and, and uphold that. Yeah. Uh, it's something that only God can do. Um, as much as we, we trust in organizations like UN, um, only God can put in the mind of a person who is... Uh, Buddhist and, and really hell-bent to make sure that someone else who's not like them is eliminated. Only God can change such a heart. I thank God that uh, you've invited me. Thank you so much for inviting me. And um, I, I, once in a while, I actually watch, uh, watch preaching that, uh, that is done here, uh, as I do also of other churches. And, uh, and, and I was here with you last Sunday, uh, believe it or not, uh, while I was in my house as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, God's word from Acts chapter ten, verse one to verse forty-eight is what I will concentrate on this uh, this morning. Um, I'll not read the text. I'll assume that somehow you have a device or you have your Bible with you that you can look at. Uh, well, sometimes I will have the uh, the verses on the screen uh, just to make sure that you believe that I'm reading the Bible. Um, and for that matter, let's pray and ask God's help as we look at His word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that, uh, that your word uh, is a gift to us. Thank you, Father, that you, you have given us so many gifts, uh, blessed us with so many blessings. Uh, your mercies are new every morning. Uh, great is your faithfulness. And thank you, too, for, for this word, uh, that it is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing bone and marrow. And it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And Lord, we pray that as you do that this morning, that you may uh, graciously also help us to, uh, to conform our ways to Christ, our Lord. And that you may use me as I explain this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, you have been looking at Good News Encounters in Acts. And as you consider good news encounters in Acts, you remember that the book of Acts is basically the history of the mission of the early church. And as we consider the history of the mission of the early church, there were days or there were times that they celebrated victories. Uh, there were times that they had, fa- that they had to face challenges. Uh, 
there were times that they faced many difficulties as they were engaging in mission. And in times, that, uh, in times where they had to also move into new territory, uh, new people, and, and preaching the gospel to people that they had never considered themselves rela- relatives to, or they had considered themselves enemies to. And this is the kind of passage we're looking at this morning. And as we look at Acts chapter 10, I want to address the idea of the gospel and our identity, because that's the idea that actually largely comes out of this passage in Acts chapter 10, the gospel and our identity. Now, the, the TV series, uh, Who Do You Think You Are?, has been airing on SBS. If you don't watch SBS, you can go back and look at some of the previous uh, editions of, of that program. Now, in the program, popular Australian personalities uh, are aired, and they are seeking to discover their ancestry and sometimes family history. And they end up discovering how they share certain characteristics of their identity with some or one of their ancestors. Sometimes family secrets are, are revealed, sometimes family history is uncovered in a manner that helps the characters or the personalities to understand their own background much better. And then they develop an identity for themselves, having understood that background. Now, apart from the good deeds that we would do in the Christian community, we would do those deeds because, first of all, we have developed for ourselves an identity with Christ. And sometimes our identity with Christ uh, becomes an identity that is on the background. And our many other identities are the identities that come up on the fall. And some Christians also use their own denominational traditions. Some Christians will also use theological views for their main identities. But the contemporary secular world has another way of identifying us. They look at us and they think of who we are based on how we treat them, based on what we say about them. Now, a man called E.A. Carson has succinctly put it how the secular world broadly considers Christians. It says that Christians are intellectually inferior because our belief in Jesus is our only way to God. That's what we say. Our belief in Jesus is the only way to God because that's what the Bible says. There's only one exclusive way to God. And so the secular world identifies Christians as narrow-minded and less intellectual. We are also called bigots because of our stand against, uh, uh, against the LGBTQ um, uh, ideas and sexuality because the world has become the place where most people want their sexuality to be their main identity. Now, is it possible to have a Christian identity that authentically challenges those traditional identities that we have, either denominational, either theological, as, they fo- as we focus on the differences that we have? Because that's a, that's a common trend with many Christians. Um, we call ourselves Baptists. There are some people in here would, who would probably sometimes be offended. They'll, they'll want to say, no, I'm not a Baptist, but I'm going to a Baptist church. And they want that identity to be clear, and so on. And so I want to suggest that if we return to our foundational identity in Christ, it will help us focus on the main issues, 
about Christ. And though sometimes we also do that, we do get our own differences and we focus on our own differences, but we need to focus on our main identity in Christ as the primary identity that helps us present the gospel as a clear alternative in a world that is confused about identities. Now, during the first century AD, Christians were a minority group. Just the way right now in Australia, we could consider ourselves as Christians a minority group. History has turned around. Not only were they a minority group, but Christians were also hunted down and killed like animals. Yet, those same Christians continued to preach the gospel continued to hold on to their identity very strongly as if it was their main identity. And they continued to conduct themselves with this gospel, distinct gospel identity. And we are told that the gospel continued to grow. And they grew in numbers. And so Acts chapter 10 is the story of Peter. Peter being used by God to take the gospel to a person who was not a Jew, Cornelius, a person who was a Gentile. We are told that he was a Gentile Roman soldier. And so from this point onwards, we see that there's a lot of activity among the apostles to take the gospel to people who are not Jewish. From this point onwards in, Acts, in the book of Acts. Now before that, you saw Paul's conversion, and God had called Paul and told him, that you will be my messenger to the Gentiles, or you'll be my messenger to the, to the rest of the world. And we see that continuing to play around up to this point in chapter 10. From chapter 8 onwards, we see the gospel actually advancing to other people groups, and not just Jewish people exclusively. And so in Acts chapter 10, we have this story that helps us to be aware of our cultural identities because these cultural identities can sometimes compromise the gospel identity that ought to be the key identity in us, or that ought to be the key identity that is seen in us. And so what can we learn about gospel identity in Acts 10? Well, let's start by reading Acts 10, chapter 10, verse 1 to verse 4. I'll read it. In Acts 10, chapter 10, verse 1 to 4, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now from this point, I want us to notice how the gospel identity is described in Acts. First of all, I want us to notice the opposite of it. Because from this point onwards, as we see uh, from verse 1 to verse 4, we see what the gospel identity is not. And so that's the first thing I want us to notice. The gospel identity is not gained by works. Do you notice Cornelius' religiosity is described here for us? Cornelius and his family were worshippers of God. They were devout. 
He was even called righteous. And most Gentiles at that time believed in many gods. Polytheism was the nature of the day. However, some Gentiles abandoned their many gods, and out of seeing the Jewish way of worship, were somehow attracted to monotheism, the worship of one God. And so they became, like the Jews, said that we are worshiping this one God, but most of them who became God-fearers did not take up all of Jewish law together with it. They would have worshipped God, the only one God, but did not get circumcised so that they would identify with Jews the way Jews identify themselves culturally. Sometimes they also would not, I, I would not identify with the cleansing ceremonies that the Jews heard because that was a normal feature of a Jewish person or a normal identity of a Jewish person. And so that was Cornelius. He was a God-fearer, attracted to the Jewish worship of one God. Now, he is a person we are introduced to as a person who is devoted to God, righteous. And in chapter 10, verse 22, he was also respected by the other Jewish people who saw him. He gave to the poor and was respected for that. Now, though, though Cornelius had this outstanding religious devotion to God, the God of the Jews, he still needed to personally respond to the message of the gospel that he had not heard. And so his Cornelius, Cornelius's righteousness was not adequate before God. This is what we see in the story. There was one important ingredient that Cornelius was lacking. Therefore, the angel appears to him so that he could send for Peter, who was in a, in a town called Joppa that was not far away. Two-day trip that was not far away those days. And Cornelius needed to hear the truth of the gospel when Peter comes to him. So that Cornelius would now gain an inward righteousness that would compete against his outward righteousness. And probably even that would complement his outward righteousness. So this inward righteousness is what he lacked. And it was the only thing that he needed now. Now we need to read Acts chapter 2 verse 9 to verse 10. Which shows us how this inward righteousness comes about. In Acts chapter 2 verse 9 to 10. We understand how God created this order for us. In God's order... He wants us to have the inner righteousness first. But in our normal human culture, we always think that this outward goodness is what is going to make us righteous because that's what your neighbor sees. But in God's economy, it's the inward righteousness that comes first. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in Acts chapter, nine verse, uh, chapter, nine, chapter, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. This is what Eugene Peterson says. Salvation is all God's idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It is God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. No. We either make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do. 
work we had better be do been doing. Now we see from this verse, which is a verse that is quite, quite popular with us, that we are saved by grace. And though we are saved by grace, and grace alone, by faith, we are seeing in that verse that God also created us to do good works. And so once we have received that inward identity in Christ, then those outward works that flow from the inside where Christ is in us become sin, and people can say, that is a righteous person. And so what they could see in Cornelius was great things that could make him fit with the Jewish culture, but he was not part of the church of Jesus Christ. And that's a sin that plagues most of us when we think that what people see outwardly in us, which makes us part of their community, is the goodness that God is pleased with. But we are wrong. When we value Christ, who lives in us, we will express it in our lives, outward, our lives outwardly so that no one can be confused and no one can boast by their actions. I want you to look at the screen above and, uh, and look at the pictures that you will see on the screen. What do you see? You see a what? cucumber? Right. That's also what I see, although I'm looking at you. I see a cucumber. And what else do you see? What next do you see? You, you might have a different name for it. I, I, I would call it Mandarin. Do you, do you call it Mandarin? Yeah. Great. I feel I've settled in Australia now. <laughs> I would have used a different name for that, but yeah. Yeah, that's a Mandarin. However, what are they actually? We can tell when we start peeling it. And so let's peel up the cucumber. When we peel the cucumber, we will tell what exactly it is. <laughs> yep. It wasn't a cucumber. It is a banana. It's the same picture, but it's only when you peel it that you can see what it's made out, out of inside. And so there has to be an action of us seeing what's inside. Well, let's look at our mandarin What does that look like? What is it actually? What is it actually? It's a tomato. Now, those pictures are a form of art called illusionary art. And an artist called Hikaru Cho produces them. Illusionism is a painting that creates an impression of a real object where the artist has portrayed a figure in such a realistic way that they seem alive. Just as we saw initially, it looked like a cucumber. It looked like a mandarin. But actually, you have to get into the action of peeling it to see what it actually is. You have to get into the action of dissecting the mandarin-looking thing and discover it's a, it's a tomato. And so he makes art look alive to be something else. Cornelius seemed alive, but he did not have the gospel identity that actually gives him life, that transforms his inward righteousness. 
Now, if gospel identity is not gained by works, then how is it gained? Because we can see from Cornelius' life, he didn't gain it by works. That's why the angel came to him and told him, you have to send for Peter, who is in Joppa, so that he may come and explain to you what the gospel is. So what is the gospel identity? Or what is true gospel identity? Let's look at uh, verse 11 to verse 16 of that passage. From verse 11, our Peter has seen the vision, and he says that he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, Peter is in Joppa. He sees this strange vision where the Lord commanded him three times, we are told, to kill and eat animals that the Jewish people would have considered unclean. Now, Peter understood from the vision that God did not want him to consider Gentiles as unclean. So when he got inside Cornelius' house, after he had seen the vision in Cornelius' two trusted servants have come to Joppa and picked him up and went back to Cornelius' house. This is four days. It's a four-day trip. You can see that. It's a four-day trip. It says that after they've come back with Peter, Peter goes inside Cornelius' house, the man that was unclean, and he said that God had showed him that he should not call any man impure or clean. Now, Peter knew that there were clear distinctions between Jews and Gentiles. That was his life from childhood. From childhood, he knew that people who were Gentiles were people to separate yourself from. When they went to the temple... There was a huge wall, thick wall, that separated the court of Gentiles from the court of Jews. So it's like coming to church. And then uh, there's a huge wall right there where this middle staircase stair is. And this, stairs, this wall says, all those on that side are people who live north of the river of Perth. And you're not supposed to mix with these guys from south of the river. And this is how it is. Every time you come here, northern guys over that side, southern guys over that side. But there I live in the north, and I came with my passport here too. <laughs> and so that's the kind of wall that existed in the temple. That You walked into the temple, and that's what you clearly see. You're different from these other guys. And so that's how Peter grew up. And then he comes to Cornelius' house, after he's seen the vision that says, you cannot call any, anyone that I've, anything that I've created unclean unless you know how to create something clean. Of course, he wasn't there when God was creating. And so it makes sense to him now to hear this three times. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
Now, God has an interesting way of communicating truth to people who are stubborn. He repeats it. And to Peter, it was said three times because he was a stubborn guy and because he had that background that I've just described. Now, interesting enough that if you look at this passage carefully, God had started preparing Peter long before. In fact, right from the passage that Ant did not preach from last Sunday, because he didn't cover Aeneas and Dorcas, there's a, pass, there's a verse in verse, verse 43, chapter 9, verse 43, which, which we, we, we did not read last week. It says that Peter stayed in Joppa in some, uh, for some time with a tanner named Simon. And then in chapter 10, it says again, verse 6, he's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. This is repeated again. Luke, Luke also uses repetition not for us. We are not so stubborn, but he thinks that we need to hear this. In verse, in verse 32, he says it the same thing again. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner. He's saying, Luke is telling, telling us, Peter is actually staying with the guy who deals with dead animals, and then he, he, he skins them, and he walks with skin. He's actually deliberately telling us he is living with a person who is unclean. That's exactly what Luke is telling us. Peter is living with a person who is unclean. Because in the book of Numbers, people who worked with dead bodies were considered unclean. And there were numerous, elaborate Rituals that you had to go through in order to be considered clean. And here Peter was living in a house who was considered unclean because he's working with dead animals. And so somehow we see God working out something in Peter's life that he's comfortably living in, in Simon the Tanner's house before he hears or before he sees this vision that prepares him to go to an unclean person's house. Therefore, as Peter goes into Cornelius' house, in chapter 10, verse 34, he says these words, which shows us a change of heart in Peter. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. When he says do what is right, he's talking, to, he's talking yes, about a person like Cornelius, but he doesn't mean who live by works only, but he's actually meaning those who do right by responding to the gospel message. That's what Peter means. So Peter realizes that God doesn't show favoritism. So how does God accept Gentiles as equal to the Jews? That's the question. Well, we have to turn to the book of Ephesians to get another feel of what it means. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 to verse 18, we read, for, for he himself is our peace. That is Christ himself. Christ is our peace. He has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. That's the wall I described in the temple. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. 
You notice, according to those verses, Paul is actually saying that the blood of Christ that is shed on the cross brought about your and my reconciliation with God. And it also brought about an, an end to enmity that existed between us as we think about the diversities that we, repre- that re- that, that we represent or the cultures that we come from. And he's now talking, here Paul is talking about the divide that existed between the Jew and the Gentile. What could have brought about an end to that hostility that existed and was clearly displayed in the temple? The blood of Christ. So that when a person becomes a Christian, they become a Christian because they have been reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. But there's much more than that. It's not just the vertical reconciliation. The horizontal, or, uh, the horizontal reconciliation has also taken place. That God has also reconciled us with each other. That we can actually live together in harmony, thinking about this blood of Christ that has brought us together to be one. So God was creating a new community through the blood of Christ. It's not, the board, God, it's not that God was making the Gentiles have a way of becoming Jews, as many think of it. No. God was creating a complete new community that the Jews were becoming a new community, the Gentiles become a new community, and both of them are one new community through the blood of Christ. That's exactly what God is saying he has done, and that's what Paul writes for us. So this new community is a community of the cross, so that the cross becomes the shaper of my life, if you want to say that. Or the cross becomes the influence over my life, the work of the cross. And so my identity is cross-shaped because the cross cuts out all my ugliness of the past and brings in a newness that is found in Christ alone so that I can say that aunt is my brother, though we are not the same. We are very different. He has, his parents are here. My parents are in Kenya. But I can call him my brother and really mean it because I have some blood relations with him that is deeper than the biological blood that you think about, the blood of Christ. That's my main identity. So that when, when, I, when, I go to, when I come to a church like this, I can feel comfortable with you. Though I've never met most of you. Almost all of you, basically. I can feel comfortable here that I'm with brothers and sisters in Christ and not feel a stranger because of the blood of Christ. Now, that's the same attitude that you need to transfer from, from this assembly into your Bible study group or home group so that when you're seated there in that home group, a person who you would not normally go along with, who has been brought to that community of Christ by the blood of Christ, can be your brother or your sister. And though we look at our differences, those differences are are very minor and insignificant compared to our relation with Christ. So every Christian has come to Christ holding on to some other identity, and sometimes that identity becomes our core identity, but it ought to be our secondary identity, and our Christian identity from the cross becomes our core identity. 
That's the exchange that happens. And so you must ask yourself this question. Who am I first? If you want to make a change in your life, you must ask yourself this question. Who am I first? Now, I can say I'm a Christian first, or I can say I'm an Australian first. If I say I'm an Australian first, it means that the values and cultures of Australians, regardless of whether those values agree with the Bible, those values are more important compared to Christ's kingdom values and identity. That's what I'm saying. I can say I'm a Christian first, and Christ's values matter to me more than any other values, because those values don't change. They may change in expression, the way I express them, but they never change. They are absolute. Brian Harris, in his book, The Big Picture, Building Blocks of a Christian Worldview, warns that he warns us that, that culture can be a friend and a foe as well. He says, God is always at work in the world. And it is therefore realistic to expect that at times, a change in culture will reflect the fruit of God's activity in our cultural context. It is equally true that there are forces of evil at work in the world. And the consequence is that our cultural setting sometimes reflects the victory, not of God, but of the demonic. And therefore... A robust worldview shaped by broad contours of the Christian faith is needed if we are to critique our culture. Christ said to us, or Christ said to his disciples, you belong to the world, but I have brought you out of the world. So you are in the world, but you do not belong to it, in other words. Which means that though I'm in the world, my life has got to display the the light of Christ in such a way that the world is ashamed of its own dark ways. I am a cultural critic walking on two feet. Even if you're walking on crutches but you're alive, you are a cultural critic walking around. That people can see you and actually say, this person is attractive. There's some goodness in them because they have a different identity. And so... We don't get our identity from our good works. We get our identity from the cross. And what benefits do we get from this? Now, let's turn to chapter 10, verse 36 to verse 47. Now, I would have started from verse 34, but we read that already. But 36 to verse 37, it says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel. Now, Peter is in Cornelius' house. He's preaching now. He's preaching the message. He's preaching the message of the gospel. And he says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God has already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him 
after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we can see here from verse 34 onwards that the gospel not only gives us an identity, but it also gives us some benefits. There are benefits of the gospel identity. From verse 34, Peter began to explain the message of the gospel. And so Peter's message, though it was short, in fact it was cut short by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is interesting. He just interrupted a sermon. <laughs> it's like me preaching here and then all of a sudden an outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes and I'm no longer preaching and it's you now doing all the talking as you're praying. That's exactly what happened to Peter. He didn't finish his sermon. I'm glad nobody has interrupted me. <laughs> Everyone who believed the message, we are told, in verse 35, they accepted God. That's a benefit of the gospel identity. They accepted God. They were, ac sorry, they were accepted before God when they accepted God. They were accepted before God. So we see, first of all, that they, they received the message, and it's the mess through the message they are, they are accepted before God. Everyone who accepts the message receives peace from God. They're no longer God's enemies. They're God's friends. The reconciliation has taken place because of the work of, the, of Christ at the cross. Everyone who accepts this message also receives forgiveness of sins. No one, no one has any assurance of forgiveness of sins apart from the person who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. No one. That's the only assurance you have, that your sins are forgiven. And they're not forgiven because you did anything great to merit it, but because God did everything that he could have done with his son, even death, so that you may receive it. So everyone receives forgiveness of sins who comes to Christ. The other benefit is everyone who receives this message also receives the Holy Spirit when we receive this Holy Spirit, we cooperate with him that he starts producing fruit in us, which is the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We are developing a culture of goodness. We can only develop that through the work of the Holy Spirit this year. Not because we are working very hard. Not because you are very intellectual. Not because you are good in any way but because you're depending on the Holy Spirit to produce that fruit of goodness in you. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All this is what that the Holy Spirit produces in us as we cooperate with Him. As we cooperate in Him basically means as we come to obedience to, to Him. 
So the Holy Spirit helps us produce this, this fruit. And this is what we see now happening up to this point. Now, up to this point that, that Cornelius has been doing these great things, wonderful. But because, he's going to re- because he has received the Holy Spirit, there's going to be much more attractive fruit from him. The Jews who considered him, this is a righteous person, are going to love him even better. Because the Holy Spirit is going to start producing fruit in him they had not seen before. He's, be, he's going to be more, more attractive. And no wonder, the last verse that I did not even read, it says this. This is, they're begging, they're begging Peter. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now, you will cover chapter 11 next week probably, and you'll see that Peter stayed with them those few days, and it brought him problems. It brought him problems. Which means... That you can bear the Christian identity in you. But don't expect. This is just the truth. You can bear every beautiful identity of the gospel in you. But don't expect that other Christians will be happy of that. Don't expect that. It's just the truth. It happened to Peter. The disciples were waiting for him in Jerusalem. They heard. They heard that he had stayed with a, in a Gentile's house who was unclean. And there, they were waiting him with serious questions. How could you? How could you? That's the question. How could you? And he will have to explain that. Now, that just, that just shows us that as Christians, we have a lot of submitting that we need to do constantly to the Holy Spirit in order for our identity in Christ to come on the fore and not our other earthly identities. Because those earthly identities will always bring about their ugly head above us, and we will not notice. And that ugly head will be our main identity, sometimes when we are confronting someone else, without us noticing. Until someone else comes and tells you, hey brother, hey sister, you have walked away from the gospel truth now. Hey, brother, hey, sister, you do not like this person because of the way they look like, but guess what? They are your brother and sister because of the blood of Christ that raised them from the dead. Hey, brother, hey, sister, you do not like these noisy kids who are part of our church and you want to kick them out, but guess what? God speaks to them and they can hear the gospel when God speaks to them. And so sometimes we need to start getting into the idea of asking ourselves, who am I first? And as we constantly ask ourselves, who am I first? That question helps us to put aside those other identities that are not gospel identities, but sometimes rear their head above us. And they stifle the goodness that the Holy Spirit is producing in us or that ought to be seen in us. What's your identity? And what is your main identity? Are you a Christian first? Or are you an Aussie first? Are you a Christian first? Or are you some other identity that you have taken for yourself and then your Christianity is secondary? Who are you? Or what are you first? 
I'd like us to enter into a time of prayer now. As we pray, I want you to reflect on your identity and how your identity has made you either treat other people as human beings that God has brought to himself through the cross or mistreat them because some other identity that you possess read its head above the cross identity that you ought to have, the gospel identity that you ought to have. And so let's bow our heads in prayer now. I want you to confess your sin before God. It could be a sin of not recognizing the main identity that you ought to have in Christ. It could be a sin of glorifying your earthly identity over your gospel identity. It could be a sin that even goes beyond that, that you have treated so badly someone else who even doesn't have the identity of the gospel there's a time to just say to Christ I'm sorry Lord forgive me and help me recognize the, the key identity that you have given to me at the cross now Christ is in the business of raising us up from us being put in that quagmire or putting ourselves in that quagmire where we are stuck in our old identities. Uh, it could be an identity that is full of sin. It could be an identity that is also full of hypocrisy. Confess that before him now. Ask him to forgive you. And Lord, we thank you that you are so forgiving, so merciful, and very gracious with us when we fail you. Father, forgive us. Lord, help us to constantly remember the main identity we have in Christ Jesus, that we are your own. We belong to you. And as we belong to you, you want us to have a transformed mind a renewed mind that says that the gospel identity is my identity and that accepts that even though we may fail you that we'll still pick ourselves up out of that quagmire because we will cling on to you oh, 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 oh Lord as you lift us up that we may display the light of Christ in us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's uh, put our hands together for Pastor Victor. Gospel identities. What is your gospel? Our identity should be planted in the gospel and who we are. So that was a great message and great reminder. Uh, that brings our service.